Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. At MidwayUSA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. I printed 5,000 copies of that book. Bat Pro sold the most of them. They were gone in 18 months. She said, what you cooking? And she couldn't believe it. <laughs> it was, uh, you couldn't make a better camp story than that one. I've met a lot of characters in my lifetime, and Ron is in that top five group. They don't realize that, you know, there's a lot of folks that, that if, if they can't do what we're doing out here this weekend, they can't live for the winter. Here sat an old, old gentleman with an old ragged felt hat on, and he's got this old raccoon head gnawing on it. Now, if that don't put a picture in your mind, I don't know what does. <laughs> the old timers may seem quiet, but they are dying to share. And man, they got a lot to share. Hi, I'm Bill Cooper. And I'm Paddle Don, and you're listening to The Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. I would rest at peace for eternity if my legacy was that I made a positive influence on the non-hunting public about what hunters are and what hunting is. I finally got my buck on our last real day of hunting. So a pro-hunting organization is voting against hunting. And that says anti-hunting to me. There was a year straight where I was averaging up to 200 death threats a day. And I hugged it. Like, I just wanted to hug a bear. It's proven that the average steak in a grocery store touches 50 to 100 hands and machines. And we're putting that into our body. Hey, y'all, Cable Smith, host of the Lone Star Outdoors show here. This is Adam Weatherby. I'm Corey Jacobson with Elk 101. This is Christy Titus. Hey, folks, this is John Bear. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey y'all, welcome to episode 126 of The Wild Initiative. Before we get started, as always, a huge thank you to Sawyer Products for their continued support of the podcast. Y'all, Sawyer offers the absolute best when it comes to water filtration, first aid, sunscreen, and insect repellent. It's really that stuff that just keeps you in the outdoors for longer. They've been doing it for over 30 years, and they are a household name for a reason. Make sure y'all check out their entire product lineup, pick up some gear at Sawyer.com. So as many of y'all that follow me on Instagram already know, I just recently got back from deer camp in the Missouri Ozarks. Was invited out by Brandon Butler. Y'all heard from him a few episodes ago on the podcast. I met him out at the Poma Conference in Wichita this year, and we got a chance to connect, and I feel really honored that he 
invited me out for his yearly deer camp at his Driftwood Acres Lodge. Y'all, we had a great time. Brandon has uh, just a beautiful setup out there uh, bordering public land, and we got a chance to go sit for some whitetail. Unfortunately, I was not able to fill a tag. I had a chance on several does, but I decided to hold out for a buck. Unfortunately, that did not work out for me. But one of the guys at deer camp, Shags, he was able to harvest just a beautiful buck, and he was originally going to donate the meat. So I offered to cape out the deer for him and quarter it out if he would allow me to take the meat home. So fortunately, while I didn't get to come home with uh, my own deer, I got to come home with a freezer full of meat. But y'all, while we were at deer camp, I really got a chance to sit down with a lot of these guys, hear stories. You know, some of these guys really are just steeped in the outdoors is the best way to describe it. Some of them have just history beyond what I could ever hope to have for myself. And with that comes some really really amazing stories. So one of the nights I sat down with two of the guys, uh, Paddle Don Cranfill and Bill the Gravel Bar Gourmet Cooper. And we sidled up to the fire out front, threw on some microphones, and I just really got a cool chance to listen to these guys' history and their stories about being in the outdoors. Y'all, this is one of my absolute favorite episodes to date. I really just enjoyed hearing from these guys and we had a great time just sitting by the fire and chatting. So I know for a fact you will really enjoy this episode. So without further ado, episode 126 with Paddle Don Cranfill and Bill the Gravel Bar Gourmet Cooper. All right, y'all, welcome to another episode of the Wild Initiative. We are out here in, I don't know, what part of, is this, is this the Ozarks? This is the Missouri Ozarks. This is, we are in the Missouri Ozarks, uh, not the Lake of the Ozarks, if you've watched too much Netflix, but out here at Deer Camp, and uh, we officially got kicked out of the cabin because uh, Brandon Shags are recording a podcast with Orthman. And We're so, sitting by a campfire, which yeah. is yeah, much we better. better. We definitely got the better deal, so we decided to screw them. We're going to record a better podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Have a couple of drinks. Um but I am here with Mr. Paddle Don Cranfill and Billy Cooper. Thanks, thanks for sitting down, guys. Hey, never miss a campfire. <laughs> Bill, Bill Cooper, the Gravel Bar Gourmet. Uh, gravel Bar Gourmet. All yeah. right, so so what's what's that name mean? Well, uh, for a decade, I wrote a column for the Outdoor Guide magazine out of St. Louis called the Gravel Bar Gourmet, and all it was about was cooking on gravel bars. You know, it's a big deal here in. In the Ozarks, we have a lot of free-flowing, undammed, clean, cold-water streams, and uh, they have gravel bars on them, uh, and people like to camp there or stop and picnic, swim, fish, and I like to cook on them because I camp on them sometimes days at a time. you got to eat, man, and everybody knows that food is always better outdoors, and uh, and actually an old fella has started that column many years ago. Hank Rifus was his name, and he was... Known Don as one of the best fly fishermen for smallmouth in the Ozarks. He could literally lay a line across any of these rivers. But uh, he he was an old, old hippie from way back, man. <laughs> and he, oh, he used to rip roar up and down these gravel roads. And he got in trouble more than once for that. And some of his columns he wrote, he'd tell wild tales about some of the things he's done. And some of the real good parents, you know, would get a little upset because their kids was read, reading that material. <laughs> but anyway, I, I inherited that uh, 
column, and I carried it for a decade, and I think now they're looking for somebody else to do it. So the gravel bar gourmet, so is it actually cooking on the rocks, or is it just how to cook when you're camping out there? How to cook when you're, when you're out uh, outdoors. Uh, I did cook over open fires quite a bit. In fact, uh, it's really interesting that you cooked uh, hobo meals yesterday. <laughs> I, I did a lot of that on the gravel bars, the easiest thing in the world to do. But uh, got a little fancy sometimes, and it was always interesting. I had a lot of recipes that I could adapt to the gravel bar situation because in 1999, I did an outdoor celebrities cookbook with all the major names throughout the United States, and I got that idea. Actually, from working through Bass Pro, I would go down when Springfield, Missouri was the only store and uh, record uh, programs with uh, all the big names, you know, Bill Jordan, Realtree, Ronnie mm-hmm. Cuz, Strickland. Uh, you may not know some of those names. I'm so old and those guys are getting <laughs> old too. But uh, they, Bass Pro would have a fall hunting classic and a spring fishing classic. And I would literally go down Bass Pro would put me up in a motel, feed me, give an office to work out of, and line me up with these big names, celebrity types. And I'd knock out 25 to 30, 30-minute 30 radio programs in one weekend. <laughs> I'd go home, Shoot. dub all those up, send them out to about 10 radio stations. I didn't have to work again for six months. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> but a lot of those guys talked recipes, and I wound up uh, doing a celebrity's cookbook, which did really well for me. And uh, I still go back to it occasionally, pull out a recipe, maybe adapt it a little bit, and uh, make it so it fits into the gravel bar gourmet. Just to attest to his uh, gravel bar cooking uh, abilities, over last summer, a bunch of us took a trip down the uh, upper stretches of the Current River in the Current River Wilderness area. First of all, i got to tell you that it was an absolutely incredible experience, Uh, that section of a river is actually more like a fish is like a creek and uh you know i'm a fishing guy and that's how i look at it and it was it was back and forth winding creek be absolutely beautiful we got uh we got a campsite on a gravel bar with a view of the milky way that i didn't know you could see in the lower <laughs> 48 it was it was awe-inspiring yeah one of the guys got an incredible shot of that all the group around a big campfire and a milky way and a bright yeah, yeah it was absolutely be. beautiful. Quite but we hit uh, we hit trout and uh, smallmouth for several days, one after another. But uh, in between, Bill dazzled us with his gravel bar cooking abilities. <laughs> and I got to say, we ate well that weekend. Yeah, they discovered, though, the secret ingredient to every recipe I do on <laughs> gravel bars. You know, I didn't intend for that to get out. But the secret ingredient for every dish is a pinch of sand. Just a pinch of sand. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get sand in your food anyway. I was going to say, is that by choice or did it just end up Either happening? Either or. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> or both. <laughs> so uh, can, uh, is there still a spot to find the cookbook, the celebrity cookbook? Yeah, you have to hunt for it because I had the idea that I was going to do another volume or Every five years, okay. But I printed five thousand copies of that book, and Bass Pro sold the most of them. They were gone in eighteen months, and so I went to do a reprint. And did I ever get shock of my life? Uh, went to reprint that book, and printing cost had tripled in eighteen months. Yes. So there was no money to be made. So I, 
I didn't uh, do a second edition uh, that one and went to a divorce and so kind of dropped that project. But I made good money off, off the first one, but uh, was quite an adventure. The first time I published uh, a book, learned a lot of things. It would have been very easy to do the next one, but just never got to it. But, yeah, you can find them on, like, Amazon. In fact, I found a copy there here about six months ago that wanted $242 for it. I tell you what, twenty one ninety five at Bass Pro. <laughs> <laughs> you should actually look into uh, releasing it as like a an ebook on on Amazon because there's almost no cost with that. And yeah, I've had a number of people suggest that, but it's it's kind of dated. Somebody oh, shooting after dark. Shooting, Not sure yeah. if y'all can hear that's that. That's a late night deer. Yeah, spot. <laughs> that's a Ozark style deer hunt. Yeah. Ozark deer. <laughs> Probably them same boys that are running the dogs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, you'll have that around Another here. interesting, interesting story. But, yeah, the cookbook was a big adventure, but kind of let it go by the uh, wayside, and the cost got in the way. And I, I just enjoyed uh, so many people. Mm-hmm. And all my writer buddies told me it never worked. So you'll never get those big shot outdoorsmen to send you <laughs> recipes. But what I didn't tell my, my writer buddies was that uh, the way I coaxed people into participating was I offered them a page in the back of the cookbook to kind of tell their story and promote their business. And I sold a lot of them at outdoor shows, getting somebody's booth and showing people, flip to those pages, show them, hey, Will Primo's here. He's right over there in that booth. Just walk up there and ask him. He'll autograph that for you. Nice. So those guys really helped me out. Yeah. Who were some of the people that uh, you did recipes with? Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, of course, Bill Bill Jordan's one of the b- big ones. You know, the Drury Boys I worked for now, the Deercast, uh, they were in it. Mark was on, had four beautiful pictures on the cover and four on the back. Larry Wysoon, who, you know, does the yeah. Safari Club International, he wrote a recommendation for the book. Very and, good. Uh, such a gentleman. Walter Parent, big-time uh, turkey hunter. Of course, uh, Ray I here from Missouri, Brad Harris, uh, Ted Nugent sent recipes. Ted Nugent sent some, man. Yeah, All right. he, he Uncle did. Ted. It, he did. And I'll just quiz you guys. You're both good outdoorsmen. What would you say would be the most common animal that people sent recipes for? Well, I mean, I, I mean, the immediate reaction would be venison or deer. That's, I gotta say, squirrel gravy. But I was gonna, I was gonna say, squirrel, just because he's asking dump, the question, squirrel gravy and dumplings is the the, the go to. You, you, you both no. get zapped. Now, beaver. beaver, beaver. Everybody thought they had the corner on the market for beaver <laughs> recipes. Everyone's like, oh, nobody else is gonna send him beaver recipes. I'm gonna send him a yeah. beaver recipe. Yeah, it, it was hilarious. But Brenda Valentine participated. She's the uh, well, they call the first lady of the outdoors, spokesperson for the National Wild Turkey Federation. Uh, gosh, some names that uh, I've lost over the time. Uh, uh, Bob Jensen, I think, from from uh, Michigan, I believe. But got people from all over. And what was so interesting, I sent out 200 letters of invitation for people to participate in the book, and I had 80 responses within two weeks, and that was enough wow. to do a, do a book. But wow. it, I got a, uh, one of the Department of Conservation uh, artists to illustrate the book, pen and ink stuff, incredible nice. artist. And I threw in just a smidgen of stories from people like Joel Vance. He's one of three people who 
won all three major riding awards from the Outdoor Riders Association of America. Mark Van Patten, who we was just talking about a few minutes ago, dear friend of mine, a great storyteller, great writer, great anything he does is great. <laughs> but Mark did a story about fishing with Saint Nick, and I just ran that story in a in a magazine. Uh, he's out on Current River, I'm sure it was, or. No, because he, he talked about Phelps County. It must have been Mill Creek or somewhere. But anyway, he ran into Santa Claus out on a trout stream, you know. And uh, it's Santa Claus, you know how he does. He shows up quickly and he disappears quickly. But the last thing he said with Mark was, make a cast right over there. You know, and he catches this nine-pound rainbow <laughs> with a ribbon on its tail. <laughs> Fully true story, right? Fully true. 100%. Yeah. Hey, yep. if it comes from those arts, it's true, man. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i'll tell you what it's been an adventure hunting out here so far we've been out what this is day number two day number yeah. two four Fresh sessions up. we've been going uh from uh pre-sun up till ten thirty or 11 and then uh, getting back out after lunch that's one of the neat things about uh deer camp here is we try and outdo each other with our lunch and dinner recipes and yeah uh, we're all gaining weight <laughs> yeah and i gotta <laughs> hey i gotta hand it to you sam um you know, I'm always a sucker for something sentimental, and and uh, your lunch yesterday was uh, the uh, hobo hobo pies. The yep. you know, just throw your ingredients in the foil and toss it on the fire, and uh, that's something that my family is really, uh, you know, it's one of the things I'm nostalgic about because <laughs> you know I couldn't count how many times I've had that over a fire growing up. Um, but it was uh, it was neat to do it here at Deer Camp this year. It really was. It brought back some memories for me as well because I've dealt with a lot of youth organizations over the years, and I can't tell you how many hundreds, if not mm-hmm. thousands, of those things I've I've made. Yeah. But boy, you you were elaborate. You had all kinds of yeah. goodies to go so in. T- and we've been talking. T- fill us in. What? Tell us. Yeah. Tell you know, us. We, everybody has a lunch thing. and a uh, dinner they got to do, and. Uh, Sam drew yesterday's lunch, so I'll let him fill you in on what we're doing here. Well, yeah, you know, I uh, uh, I didn't have a lot of outdoor experiences growing up. I mean, I had my fair share, but, you know, I grew up in Orange County, and so we were, you know, for us it was the beach. You know, that was what we'd do. Oh, but yeah. uh, every, every year um, since, gosh, since I was three probably, we go to this spot out in Sequoia National Forest, kind of Kings Canyon National Forest area, and uh, – We'd rent a cabin, and, you know, we'd stay there. Uh, started out as a week, then we moved it up to two weeks. Um, but, I mean, pretty much every year since I was a kid. And, uh, you know, we'd camp, and, it, you know, I mean, it was fully rigged up cabin. It wasn't exactly tent right. camping or anything, but right. that was always one uh, one of our meals. So I grew up, you know, it's it, it, that's about as nostalgic for me as it gets having those. And, um, there you go. You know, we were, we were, I was talking with Shags, and um, I was just I was just drawing a blank because you know I'm flying in. I it's it I was gonna have to pick up everything uh, right before coming in, and I was just you know I kind of wanted to do something elaborate, but I'm like you know I think I think I should just keep uh, keep it simple and yeah um, and something and the nice thing about it is everybody makes what they want. You know, oh, yeah. it's, everybody gets what they want. And there's it's delicious. Nobody, nobody's got anything to complain about. And the best part is, there's almost zero prep and there's almost zero cleanup. That's exactly right. <laughs> it, and hey, it's such a wholesome meal too. I mean, you yeah. got that ground ground beef in there and all the veggies and 
You, you even had uh, some kind of beans. What was, it? was that? Oh, uh, baked beans. Yeah, baked pork beans and beans. That's yeah. always pork and f- beans. That's always my that? favorite part. I'm a, such a sucker for baked beans. I would. Uh, I've never I tell seen you what, I'd fight someone over some baked before, beans, but it was um, good. Well, you you mentioned shags, uh, so we are here. You know, we're at what we call Driftwood Acres. And I don't mean to commandeer you. <laughs> no, no. Go ahead. Throw a little bit of who Shags is in here. Yeah. You know, the the infamous Shags, the uh, the, the nearly seven-foot Shaggy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, by the way, uh, dropped an awesome buck this evening. Yeah, a beautiful buck. Yeah. Yeah, she but, fine. I'm hoping I'm hoping that broke the seal for all of us, I'll tell you what. Oh, me too, like, boy. We've had a, yeah. a tough time. We haven't even been really – I mean, there's been a couple of sightings, but – I mean, compared to what it should be, we have not been seeing much. I've, no. I mean, I've seen all kinds of deer. I just haven't seen any shooters. I've had does all around me. The uh, Yeah, but there's different definitions of shooters, you know. Well, yeah, right. I mean, we're shooting, somebody's <laughs> shooting for meat, somebody's shooting for uh, bragging rights. Yeah. But even so, I mean, everything's been fleeting glimpses for me. I've had uh, an incredible experience, so I'm out way out on a finger ridge that's uh, almost a mile walk out. And I've had, uh, you know, right at sunrise the first morning, had four turkeys come down off a tree and uh, strut right past me. And uh, that was just, that was glorious. And then, uh, you know, I had three does come in. Um, they were all, right now, everything in this in these woods is hot and bothered. Uh, the, <laughs> the, scrapes are, the scrapes are hot and the does are really, really, really looking at them. And uh, these does were up here working some scrapes on a ridge that I'm at. And, uh, you know, I thought they'd have had a buck with them. And either, you know, I am hunting from the ground. Um, didn't have time to get a stand out this year. And I don't know if it's scent or what, but, uh, you know, the, the does hung around, but I never saw the buck. And then day two had, uh, I got great video of uh, four raccoons that are just almost in my blind with me yeah. uh, this one is almost close enough to pet but yeah, it's that always tells so much me, fun to see that kind of stuff in it well it is but you know what the, the the heartening thing about all this is you know the does knew something was there they didn't blow but they kind of knew something was there but they stayed around the turkeys just moseyed through and the coons literally got cozy with me. So that tells me I'm, that tells me I'm doing something right out there. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm not scaring them off. So yeah, that, that's for sure. And then tonight, right at dark, I had my buck come in and uh, just because of a freak condition, winds turned 90 degrees, it was dead still. And just a little gust came out 90 degrees that blew my scent right up the trail exactly into his nose. And, uh, he spent the next 25 minutes up there blowing at me, just uh, stomping the ground and blowing and throwing a fit. Knew I was there, but didn't know where I was. And uh, I knew my night was done then, but tomorrow's a new day. It is, mm-hmm. it is. Well, I started out, of course, I'm, I'm meat hunting. I mean, I've got a any deer tag, and then I bought an extra doe tag. I've got a wild game dinner coming up in late January. Our church organization 
does it for men and boys. We'll have 300 men and boys show up. And, man, we'll give away all kinds of stuff. It's a big feed. And they all bring some of the weirdest stuff you ever heard of, man. <laughs> There'll be groundhog. They always talk, there's always talk of skunk being there, you know. And, that's one of the neat fundraisers that I've seen come up lately, you know, yeah, among outdoor folks. is uh, wild game. I mean, you eat all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. But it's all for a good cause. Yeah. And it all tastes delicious. Yeah. Well, I, I get the biggest kick out of them because this one's held at Steelville. It's way out in the hills, you know, and literally, I mean, it's like stepping back a hundred years when you go to Stillville, and uh, those people know how to hunt and fish, but I usually video a little of it, take some photographs, but I always go check out the pots and what's in everything before everybody starts eating, and a couple of years ago, I opened one, and there's a raccoon head. <laughs> yeah, it's been barbecued. That's glorious. I thought, the well, whole head's been barbecued? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, this is going to trip some people out, you know. So I I kept an eye on this raccoon head, and a little bit I go out, and I'm walking up and down the table aisles there to film people. And here sat an old, old guy, gentleman with an old ragged felt hat on, plaid shirt, overalls, and he's got this whole raccoon head gnawing on it. <laughs> uh, if that don't put a picture in your mind, I don't know what does. <laughs> oh, that's glorious. So, side story, slightly related to that. Back in the day, I actually used to do uh, historical reenacting for a living, Buckskin or Mountain Man stuff. Yeah. And we were at a big national reenactment, um, Barron River Lake, Kentucky, back long, long time ago. But when they come through that state park back in there, it's this beautiful hillside on this cove overlooking the, the lake. And there was over a thousand lodges set up in there, wow. I mean, teepees and, <laughs> and wall tents as far as you can see. Um, apparently, when they had come through with these bush hogs ahead of time, clearing these paths out through the, this hillside so we could set this up, um, there was an innocent live that was claimed in, a, in the form of a possum. <laughs> But we got into camp and uh, and I thought yeah. this was going to be a really depressing for a split second. I thought this story was going to get real depressing. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> it's no. like damn. <laughs> we got into camp and got you know got uh, three eighteen foot lodges set up. Back at the time, you know, we had a store and and we outfitted folks that did historical reenacting. So we had an eighteen by twenty marquee tent, had it all set up, and as we're making fire, the uh, off to the side, we found this possum, and it was middle of summer. We didn't want, you know, we got chucked off to the side. But one of the things that when you're doing these reenactments, everybody come in the craziest. We just call them the Flatlanders come in, and uh, is that a real fire? Is that a real teepee? You know, <laughs> is that a the, real fire? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we oh we got those questions. Holy hell! So this old time, this old. Uh, old fellow that's passed away long, long ago. It was kind of a mentor to me, a guy named Keeper. Um, everybody in that business goes by their, their camp names, but Keeper was a legend. And uh, that last day, he we had a big old kettle that we'd had stew on, and he threw some water in there and was cooking it down, you know, or was, I'm not cooking it, but was boiling it to clean that pot out. And uh, he got the wise idea to pull a prank and throw that possum up in there. <laughs> and that thing had a, had a lid on it. And uh, it was the last day that the, the, the tourists were allowed in there. And this lady come in and, she, you know, it was, she was one of those, is that a real fire crowd? But she said, what you cooking? And just, you know, if, if you know anything about reenactors, 
you can uh, you can bet that they're going to quote uh, Jeremiah Johnson like yep. it's oh, the yep. Bible. Yep. And uh, he he reaches out and grabs a lid on that pot and raises it up and says, "Grown particular." And just as he raises that pot. <laughs> This possum rolls up. <laughs> it was it was laying with its back up and just rolled up and showed its face. And this lady ran off into the ah! She couldn't believe it. <laughs> it was uh, you couldn't make a better camp story than that one. Yeah. That, oh man. He's long since departed this world, but right uh, on cue. <laughs> that man was the master of good times. Oh gosh. It's funny, yeah. funny the little little goofy stories like that that oh, stick with you. Yeah, yeah, but that that's one of the great things I love, and it happens all over the country. It's just not the old, the Ozarks, but you know the history of, of the Ozarks is is so interesting, so full of stories. And well, there there was even Vance Randolph. Oh, I must have been back in the 1800s, maybe I think, early 1900s. He he wrote a. A book that's full of wild tales called Pissing in the Snow. <laughs> he also wrote, wrote one called Body Tales of the Ozarks. Just nasty stories, you know. And most of them were told by women. <laughs> oh, man. It is, uh, it is an interesting way of life out here in these hills. It is. And, and you know, uh, in my lifetime, of course, I'm not originally from the hills. I, I was a swamp rat from down southeast Missouri, but fell in love with the hills. But there was a gentleman by the name of Mitch Jane who just passed away four, five, six years ago. He lived down here at Eminence. Best storyteller I ever run into in my life, man. <laughs> and he wrote several books. Fiddler's Ghost was one of them, but he told all the old mountain stories, you know. And so many of them were about sitting around campfires with all the old timers and they had their hounds loose they were fox hunters and they'd go out and turn the hounds loose and build a fire and just sit there and they didn't chase the fox they just listened to the hounds you know <laughs> <laughs> but all the stories he told uh he was a school teacher what school at northeast missouri state i guess in one of his books he made the statement that people get married for the strangest reasons and he said first time i married i married a gal because of the way she talked. She was from Eminence, and she spoke Shakespearean English, which was pretty common up until the 1950s. There's Irish descent folks. But he came down here in Shannon County and taught at a one-room school, and one of the charges that the school board gave him was to break those children from using Shakespearean English. They thought they'd be more successful in life speaking regular English, you know, (laughs) <laughs> he says, he said, but you do have to understand the most educated person on my board did not quite finish the third grade. <laughs> but, oh, he could tell some of the grandest stories. And, and it was so funny, though, because he looked so out of place in the Ozarks because he was a thin, elegant-looking man, particularly in his older years, had white hair, he combed back, man, always wear a white shirt and white pants and he had a big ne- necklace of bear claws that he wore all the time but he was in a band too called the dillards they actually played on the andy griffith show for a couple seasons huh. and he did a radio show out of salem missouri here for like 20 years 
and it was poking fun at the hillbillies, you know, and he wrote all the material fresh every week. There were five characters in the stories, and he was all five characters. Wow. <laughs> Just an incredible talent. Well, we, you know, I'm going to take over for a, minute, for a minute again here. You know, we've, uh, we're sitting out here at Driftwood Acres, and uh, Sam, I'm going to throw this on you as a, this is a new twist, but I want to get Bill to talk about something. Um, That'll cost you a quarter. Yeah, I got a quarter. <laughs> Ron Kruger. Oh my goodness. We were talking about him earlier today. Now I'm going to throw, I'm going to put a little preface out here. Ron was, uh, uh, kept showing, you know, social media these days, all these outdoor folks are on social media and Ron kept showing up and kept showing up and, this guy had some incredible pictures that he kept posting and he just did not look the part at all. But for some reason, Facebook thought we should be friends. And I finally said, okay, and hit a friend request and he accepted. And Brandon Butler, who is the, the, the fellow who's hosting this uh, weekend out here was a common friend. And then, uh, since I met you and you were a common friend, but, uh, Ron and I shared a few just uh, random exchanges online, and then he uh, has since passed away. But what does he mean to these local hills, and, these, and especially these rivers? Oh, my goodness. He's the epitome of this wild country. And Kruger's such an interesting character. You know, we all, particularly in the outdoors, and I'm 70 years old, so I've met a lot of characters in my lifetime. <laughs> and Ron is in that top five group. Uh, incredible gentleman and an incredible story uh without a doubt my favorite outdoor writer of all time and a, a tremendous photographer as well but he was such a strange personality i often wondered if uh, he wasn't uh he was so moody in and in and out you know but uh, he edited the Hunting and Fishing Journal out of St. Louis, still my favorite all-time magazine. It was like the Playboy of outdoor magazines <laughs> at the time. I mean, it it was out there, beautiful photography, top writers and grand stories. And I guess some uh, millionaire or billionaire had started the magazine. It was just a tax write-off and had lost a couple million. They shut it down. So Ron just picks up and moved to southwest Missouri out in the National Forest, found a shack, and he squatted there for three years with no income. <laughs> that that was Ron Kruger's <laughs> lifestyle. <laughs> that was that Ron. Amazing. Uh, yeah. It gets better. Oh, yeah, I can't yeah. show it here. Well, he said, it, he admitted, he said, I, I became the best poacher in the state. I mean, he had no income. So he lived off of what he could catch, trap, and shoot. And, but uh, he found somebody's marijuana patch, I guess, and uh, they threatened to burn his shack down and kind of run him out of that part of the country. But he, uh, uh, we all admired him so, but he kind of, he called me one time. He had a wife at the time, I guess, was quite a dopehead, and she kept him in the hawk all the time. So he just called me one time and said, Bill, I've, he had beat up old truck pickup. He said, I'm packed my truck with all my hunting and fishing gear and I got docked my dog and we're going to the woods and we're staying in the woods over the winter. I said, you're crazy, dude. You die out there. I said, I got a hole upstairs in my house. Just come stay here until you get back on your feet. 
But dang, man, we'd get into it once in a while. He'd get in one of these moods. We'd be cutting wood or something. It's like two old men ready to come to fisticuffs out in the woods, you know. <laughs> and then him and my wife got into it. They wouldn't even speak to each other, so I'm trying to keep them apart from killing each other, you know. And but but all the while, he's making beautiful photographs. He is, just non nonstop, man. It, but I loved him. To, we floated down the Jacksport in the current river one time for like five days. I think we only floated 12 miles. So we, <laughs> and I, he'd sit in the front and I'd paddle and, and he'd catch Monster Smallmouth and I did all the cooking for him. And he got up one morning. He He's already out there in the stream in his underwear, standing there <laughs> fishing. And I started making breakfast and all made pancakes, cinnamon, cinnamon apple pancakes with whipped cream on top, you know, scramble the, the, eggs. These are your, these is, are your camping meals. This is the yeah, gravel bar yeah, gourmet. I'm not kidding, get, folks. Get I've been with him. I had some meat with it, and he said, what, what is that meat? I said, it's black bear from Canada. He said, you're shitting me. We're sitting out of here on the river eating cinnamon apple pancakes with whipped cream and, and black bear from Canada. Now, who does that? <laughs> <laughs> and that sucker, though, he just, he get the biggest laugh out of getting something over on you, you know. <laughs> so right off the bat, he used to guide down here, so he knew all, where all the good fishing holes were. And right off the bat, he wanted to make a $5 bet, but he'd catch the biggest smallmouth. Well, we broke that camp where we had the bear for breakfast and foggy, beautiful morning, man, in the fall. Turkeys had roosted right across the river from us, man. We saw eagles. We saw ospreys. We heard an elk bugle just echoed through the hills late in the evening but we pushed off from that camp the next morning and you know how it is paddled on your experience with paddle and canoe you always <laughs> got to adjust something seems like when you first take off so i laid my fishing rod down I, I just tied a crankbait on it he picks it up first cast catches the biggest friggin' fish of the trip and he turns around and he says, you owe me five bucks because this is going to be the biggest fish. I said, like, hell, I, I do. That's my right. I'll give you 50 cents. <laughs> now, uh, to bring it full circle, uh, Ron has since passed and when the, the trip I was talking about on the current last uh, summer, we paddled, uh, I took uh, the chief, which is the uh, the Conservation Federation of Missouri's uh, legendary old canoe, all covered with uh, bumper stickers. He <laughs> <laughs> looked like a billboard floating down yeah. the river. Nice. <laughs> and uh, and it was neat to see uh, to see Bill paddling uh, the uh, the Ryan Kruger special. Yeah, Ryan's old boat. Yeah, that was a little emotional, you know. And then. I had the mayor. <laughs> the mayor. I mean, that's a I was hoping you'd bring that up. Yeah, he, he cussed and raised cane because we put him in a canoe. I hate these friggin' canoes. I said, well, what do you float in? He said, well, we're just hopping an old John boat and we never paddle. We just turn it loose. It's got a mind of its own. Well, I said, we're not, we don't float the river to paddle. We float the river to fish. He said, if it runs into a rock, it'll bounce off. If it hangs up on a log, it'll eventually wash off, you know. <laughs> and so here I'm in the canoe with him. We're loaded. We're the commissary boat. We got all the food. And we me, you got to let me interrupt all real right. quick. Yeah. Time out one second. Yeah. To put stuff in context, because folks are listening to this, we're sitting in Happy Holler, which is a little hollow down here in Shannon County, Missouri, and uh, Daryl is the mayor. That who uh, yeah, you got a constituency about. of three, I think. Yeah, a constituency <laughs> of three. A constituency of three. Yeah. Uh, he lives down across the holler here, and uh, 
Um, has the nicest outdoor plumbing that have anybody in the holler. Yep. You betcha. But, uh, There's Darryl, a heater in there. Daryl is uh, is a, a great guy, and he's helped build this lodge that we're staying in tonight and been an integral part of all this. Yeah, but, he's uh, just a— This little valley back in here is World-class, interesting character. He is oh, a yeah, great yeah. guy and uh, can tell you every single uh, shortcut and secret to doing good carpentry. Uh, he's been up here when we put every nail in this building. But uh, um, as we speak, he's right down across the holler here. Yeah. yeah so that's, uh, that's who the mayor is. <laughs> he's, uh, he's one of the regulars down here, and he's a great guy. You betcha. But we shoved off into the current, and I could see right quick he wasn't going to hit a lick that whole trip with a paddle. So <laughs> not 30 yards down, there's kind of a drop and a turn big rocks. I mean, you flip a canoe over there real easy. Yeah. So I shoved her off. I didn't even pick up my paddle. I just let her drift. I thought, I'm going to find out. Well, he looked up and saw we were, we were going to crash and burn. He grabbed up a paddle, and he's in the front, and he straightened that canoe up right through the right spot, round the curves. And, <laughs> and uh, I thought, you lying little devil, you you, you paddle canoe. <laughs> this comes from the man who's never paddled in his life, right? Yeah. <laughs> As we speak, that is perfect timing. Yeah, I was going to say, the mayor, yeah, right the mayor came right up, up and, us and uh, just yeah. honked as he yeah. went by. That is perfect timing. <laughs> but tell, tell him about the camping out that night. So, yeah, camping out. He uh, Now, we all had, you know, the gravel bar gourmet here, he had, you know, he, the, the, the boat he was paddling was set because it was uh, it was our commissary. He had everything there was to cook everything good. The rest of us were overloaded at best. Yeah. <laughs> and Daryl showed up in cutoffs. Excuse me, the mayor yeah. showed up in uh, cutoffs and a T-shirt, and that was all he brought. And uh, we get to that first uh, that first gravel bar, and he uh, uh, Brandon was nice enough to bring him a tent. He throws the tent on the ground and folds it over once, and that's it. Uh, he he slept on the gravel on a gravel bar on top of the tent. <laughs> And that was good enough. That was good enough for Daryl. Yeah, I sleep. I sleep in a reclining lawn chair and threw a tarp over myself. You know, and the mayor's right over by me, and I looked at him. I said, "Mayor, are you gonna sleep on that gravel?" He said, "Hell no, I'm gonna sleep on the airspace between it." (laughs) (laughs) And he did. Played there all night long, face up, man. He's as tough as a pine knot. (laughs) They made me feel like I was. I was the soft one in the bunch, but there was a, a sycamore treetop down across the uh, across the gravel bar, and I climbed up in the top of that top and strung a hammock up in there. He's and sleeping I in the treetops. I, I slept the in the treetops tree on the ground, but yep. <laughs> treetops on the ground. I was about to, well. The the neat thing was, I was probably seven foot over the water, yeah. where the 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 water come trickling around this double bend and had this most beautiful little trickling sound all night. And I have never slept better in my life. But what made it even sweeter was if I cracked the top of that hammock open and looked up was that view we were talking about earlier of the Milky Milky Way. It was, I got to say it again. It was like, uh, I never thought it was possible to, to view in the lower 48. You could see the, every vein of it, you know, all the, the, the colors of the sky, and, uh, you know, it was something else. It it really was, and I've floated thousands of miles on these rivers in four, 40 years, but that 
was the most enjoyable trip I ever made. And it was because of the company. We just had so many. Everybody was a character, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, something else folks might find interesting is, uh, you know, this area was was founded on. Well, we're sitting literally probably 30 yards from what used to be the, the town center of Timber. Yep. And, uh, you know, Timber, Missouri was built on timber and charcoal. Is that what those uh, foundations are? That's what yep. that is at the yep. bottom of the hill there. Brandon Walking was saying the, that was the, uh, that root cellar was the community root cellar, and that building was the, uh, you know, the, the post office, mercantile, <laughs> everything else. Well, so so just to give some context, walking up from the, the fancy bathroom, um, <laughs> so we got limited water up here, so uh, the, uh, the restroom is uh, as wide as the great outdoors, unless you... Uh, Unless you got to drop Unless a deuce. visit the mayor's. Yeah. Then you got to go uh, go to the mayor's accommodations. And the there world's is a nicest outdoor plumbing. Very yeah. fancy. Uh, it's got some nice decor inside. It's got a yeah. heater that when that thing kicks on and you got, you've got dropped trowel, that'll warm. It has. That'll uh, warm it, your jewels it's right a one. It's a one-hauler with heat and air conditioning. It and is. He needs to make kidding. one improvement, though. He, he needs a fur-lined <laughs> toilet seat. <laughs> You need to capture one of those raccoons and make him one. I don't <laughs> want to share that with you guys. But so walking back up from the uh, the lovely bathroom accommodations, yes. coming up the driveway on the left, uh, it's an old foundation. You know, yeah, you can and see an, an old, old foundation, root a root cellar, yeah. some steps up and stuff. And well, uh, that's that's I was, I was wondering town, today what that was. That's a town of timber, yeah. which uh, back in the day this was. Uh, Nothing but timber and charcoal, if I'm not mistaken, that was turned out of this area. Okay. And uh, when industry changed, the uh, this is what I found fascinating. You know, talk about we're going back to our current river trip and Echo Bluff State Park, which if you get a chance to visit Missouri, go to Echo Bluff. That is an incredible lodge. Um, you walk right down there to the bluff and... and you know, and hang out there in the creek, and it's beautiful, cool, clean, clear water. But when the timber industry collapsed, they just basically turned the horses loose, didn't they? Oh, yeah, everything. Hogs, horses. Yeah. So we got hogs out here everywhere. We yeah. run across them, but there's also wild horses in these hills. Yeah, and that's such an interesting story. I, I wish Jack Peters was still alive. If you went back to Highway 19, made a ride up there a couple miles, a little country store, and canoe livery and jack peters ran that for decades and jack peters was the first park ranger sent down here in 1967 when the park service only had 70 acres bought up and of course they used the powers of eminent domain to buy all of this up mm -hmm. when the local hillbillies didn't take too kindly to that <laughs> and it was jack's job to introduce the park service to the locals i mean <laughs> he had death threats made and uh, all kinds of stuff but Jack was also charged with uh, doing some photography work. He, he was supposed to go around and photograph all the old log cabins, the barns, the lean-tos, because there was a, several different architectural styles, and the Park Service had said they were going to maintain those ar architectural styles in the buildings that they put up. Of course, they didn't. But Jack worked on that project for five years and then turned all that material over to the Park Service and never saw it again. And he failed to make copies of it. That was always mm. kind of a heart sore with him. But he, I'll, I'll tell one more story about him, but so interesting in the process of 
traveling hundreds of miles through these hills and hollows and seeking out particular families that had been mentioned. He, a banker had mentioned a family that had a, a really unique log house they had built themselves. So Jack rumbled down the hillside in a rough old road and got to the home place and the man of the house was out under a big sprawling oak tree pulling the motor out of a vehicle and he said the guy didn't even look up didn't even acknowledge he had arrived so jack goes on up to the house up on the porch knocks on the door and he said this tall slender lady came to the door and she was in a flyer sack dress you know used to buy 50 pound bags of flyer and it was made in print material so the People could rip that apart and make clothing out of it. This mm-hmm. lady had made a flyer sack dress, and he said she was rather well endowed, and it was obvious she didn't have on a bra. <laughs> and uh, he said he's kind of batting his eyes and introduced himself and told her he was there if she would allow it, photograph their home and their family and everything. And he said, boy, she just perked up like she's proud as a peacock. Had eight children, brought them out and lined them up on front of that porch just like stair steps. And he said, Bill... That lady walked over and leaned up against one of the porch posts there, threw her hip out, stuck her hand on her hip, you know. He said, that's the damn sexiest thing I ever saw in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. He was was 80-something years old when he told that. I said, Jack, I'm going to tell your wife, man. But Jack really recorded the history of the horses as well. When uh, he first uh, got here, in 67, those horses were, if I remember right, brownish colored, you know, the brown horses. But a uh, a bay horse showed up from somewhere and changed the whole complexion of these herds. Today, they're born black. In their youth stages, they're model colored. And then as adults, they're totally white. But beautiful, beautiful creatures, man. A lot of controversy here. The hill folks used to round them up, and they'd sell some of the colts off every year. But when the park service came in, they immediately wanted to eliminate all of them because they weren't native yeah. to the country. You know, they introduced species left here by the timber folks. Some people like to say that uh, DeSoto and the Spaniards left them here, you know. but <laughs> That's a good story, but not quite true. <laughs> not right. But uh, anyway, a real fight came up and representative bill emerson when he was still alive managed to get legislation passed that the horses are going to stay i mean i i I think they do call them some they've been having problems at echo bluff state park with them getting a little too friendly with people and yeah that's it you can go up there so they just adopted some of them out that state park is beautiful it is is if you're coming through (laughs) stay there and uh i mean that lodge is uh Something like you'd expect to see out west in National Park. Exactly. It's it, it's a grandest state park we've had here. But but Echo Bluff, interesting history there, too. It used to be a horse camp back in the 1930s, fancy place for rich girls out of St. Louis. Hmm. And it was always called Camp Zone. It went through several hands. Jack Peters actually even ran it for a good while. And then a young fella uh, by the name of Jimmy Tabow got a hold of it and jimmy was a swag dude he started holding swag stock events you know and i used to deliver ups run a route down in here and it was always interesting about a week before one of the swag events were going to happen the highway patrol would be set up 
<laughs> coming from the north and the south, checking every car that come along. You know, they even checked my UPS truck a time or two. And, of course, they captured a lot of drugs there. But the feds showed up one day and just confiscated everything, took Jimmy's land and everything. And oh, he geez. never, yeah, he never was convicted of possession or anything, but kind of aiding and abetting, I guess, the selling of drugs. So what's a swag party then? It's, uh, gosh, <laughs> Don't point at me. <laughs> it, it's a big wild party, wild music, you know, and uh, this place I say, was a, I, I just a bit a of a row, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was his own private uh, yeah resort for his own uh, big music festival. Music, yeah, Thousands his own music of events from and, all over the country would come. Hip, hippie type. You okay, know? okay, yeah. yep. And uh, it was interesting, but yeah. I'd deliver in there. And of course, Jimmy, he quite a musician and had the dreadlocks and all that stuff, but a perfect gentleman. Uh, he always treated me with great dignity, man. Give me tips. Nobody gave out in the hills gave me a tip. <laughs> but, oh, he's always had me a $10 bill, you know, by lunch and always had a cold drink for me and gave me free tickets to the, of course, I, that wasn't my deal. I always, there were young people at work I'd give them to, you know, no, they were all happy, but I really felt bad for Jimmy and didn't like what happened. A lot of local people didn't either. But uh, Governor Nixon at the time, the stories told either his wife or somebody down the line, maybe her grandma, had worked here at the horse camp at some time, at some point. So there was kind of a emotional family attachment to this. Plus, there was millions and millions of dollars available from a mitigation project, uh, one of the mines over over here around Viburnum had a huge collapse, lots of environmental problems, and they were fined, gosh, an astronomical yeah. amount of money. And the uh, state government was supposed to use that money to buy like lands. Well, some of the locals around Viburnum thought they meant supposed to be spent right there. <laughs> but Nixon very quickly bought four state parks and got some jewels. You know, this nice. was, this was one of them. He got a 4,000 acres on the 11 Point River, which just doesn't come up very often so good move but caused a lot of controversy yeah well you know you talk about the rivers in this area um steer it i want i just want to talk to you about that man because being from southern indiana you know i love this part of missouri is like where i'm from times 10 the hills <laughs> are 10 times bigger the creeks are 10 times better the rivers are 10 times better than that um you know we got the current and uh, what are some of the other rivers around this area? Oh, that boy, there, there's just so, so many of them. I live an hour north of here. Uh, but right here, you've got the Current and the Jacks Fork, two of the clearest, cleanest, coldest rivers in the state. Another 30 minutes south, my favorite, the 11 Point. 11 point. Uh, you go east, uh, you've got the Black River. If you go north my way, you've got the, uh, got the Merrimack. The Gasconade, the Hoosall, the Curtaway, uh, Osage. I mean, well, Missouri's also home to the Buffalo, yeah. which is the nation's first uh, scenic river. Yeah, and the you know, okay. scenic rivers program, yeah. which is, I mean, yep. there's that's the thing I love about here is that you know Paddle Don is uh, is I got a reputation for being a paddle guy. You know, I canoe, I kayak. But I'm a smallmouth junkie, and trout are a close second. And this is some incredible water anywhere you go in this state, uh, especially in this area of the state. 
Um, that was the neat thing about our trip on the current was that you could fish all day long and not know whether you're going to catch a brown, a rainbow, or a smallmouth. <laughs> and to be a smallmouth junkie with a with a a trout affliction, you know, that was perfect. <laughs> I could fish. He's all messed up. <laughs> yeah, I could fish a uh, you know a big floating. Uh, uh, topwater fly with a dropper under it and not know what in the world I was going to catch, but know that I was going to be thrilled when I caught it. <laughs> well, I got to get you on another fish species down here. One of, them, one of my favorite is chain pickerel. They're chain cousin pickerel. to a northern pike. Yeah. But they're usually small little critters. But down on 11 Point, my wife and I were camped out down there four or five years ago during deer season. And, uh, Oh, we're catching all kinds of rainbows right out in front of the camp, and she catches a 22-inch chain pickerel, which is pretty huge for a chain pickerel. Yeah, it's good I've heard old-timers say where there's one big one, there's another one. So I seen some big minnows right quick, and I took about a six- to seven-inch minnow, put it on a big bass rod and flung it out the same area. Two minutes, I had a 29-and-a-half-inch chain pickerel, which was probably a state record, but I didn't want to get off the water to go. You know, the fish would die and all this stuff. And uh, the uh, state record was 5-1, I want to say, and it was a 28-inch fish. So, you know, if not, I was very close. But got a couple pictures and let the thing go. Yeah. Great memories, great fun, boy. And this whole area. It's like a piece of heaven, you know. And, of course, this wild area here is the largest wild, I mean, really wild area between the Appalachians and the Rockies. It's just hundreds of square miles. I mean, we're sitting right here enjoying 75,000 acres of the Roger Pryor backcountry, and uh, that's 75,000 acres in one block. And uh, Leo Dry, gentleman who passed away four or five years ago from St. Louis, he started in the 1930s buying lands on the headwaters of these streams to protect the watersheds and he accumulated 160,000 acres in his lifetime and it's uh, always been open to the public to camp on, hunt on and uh, he was a big promoter of walking and backpacking and that's what this Roger Pryor Wilderness area is about. Okay. But uh, incredible human being. Did some great things for us. That's the area we've been going back into every day out here. Um Man, it's some absolutely beautiful backcountry. But it's just amazing we can enjoy all this because, you know, the timber company started coming in here in about the 1890s, and the whole Ozarks was pretty much, uh, timber companies and railroads were pretty much uh, clear-cut. There used to be 18 inches of topsoil on these ridges. They clear-cut it, and then when the railroads and the timber companies moved out, a lot of families stayed and tried to, live here it was subsistence farming you you know but they had the habit of burning every year supposedly get rid of the ticks and the snakes but it just allowed the soil to wash off that's why there's so much gravel in these rivers anymore old timers they're about all gone now but they used to say that these rivers were deeper and wider and they even talked about springs being choked with gravel Oh, wow. Yeah. So the gravel wasn't always in these streams like it is, is today. And fortunately, in the 1930s, the U.S. Forest Service started buying up uh, thousands, millions. We got, I think, yeah. uh, close to three million acres of national forest in, in Missouri, most of it in southern Missouri, very little mm-hmm. north of Missouri now, River. Just to put it all in context for folks that haven't been here, I mean, where we're at is 
thousands upon thousands of acres of basically uh, it's oak forest with a little bit of red pine, uh, a little bit of other species mixed in, but it's it's hardwood forest. It's it's managed, but it's well managed, and and uh, you'd never know that it looked like it did back in the day. Now, back in those days, this became the most economically depressed area in the United States, and that's one reason they started uh, reforesting and taking taking care of everything the way we are. But Shannon County here, worst county in the state of Missouri, but it's 87% public land. Between, oh, wow. 87% the Department of, of Conservation, wow. National Park Service, Forest Service, uh, and they've got it. Now, see where I'm from, down southern Indiana, it was a similar situation. It was like a little Appalachia in that area. And uh, a fellow named Frank Hohenberger came in, and, and it was his his uh, charge in life was to to photograph all that, uh, you know, just document everything. And it was uh, it was a lot like American Gothic, you know, the, yeah. the, the photograph of the guy with the pitchfork and Right. And his wife there in front of the farmhouse, right. except in the background. I mean, there is not a tree to be seen anywhere. It's yeah. uh, it's a lot like these hills and hollers and streams, but it's a, about a third the size. Yeah. But back in the day, it was just all absolutely clear cut, and uh, you know now it's home to the the state of Indiana's largest uh, state park. And uh, you'd never know. You know, people the, we call them the leaf lookers, the flatlanders. They come in from you know from all around the. To, to look at the fall foliage, yeah, yeah. but uh, uh, I tell you what, you know, it's, it's being out in places like this that just remake that, that reminds me of why it is I'm here. You know, hanging out with fellows like this, and uh, you know, just seeing these beautiful sights and these beautiful yeah. scenes. Sunrise coming up, you know, on my blind. I tell you, what, I tried to snap a couple pictures, but it didn't didn't even do it justice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then tonight, waiting on y'all to pick me up, we got an SUV or a, excuse me, a UTV that we're using. Um, I got done a little bit early and uh, had a had a buck come in on me that winded me, and he started blowing and blowing, and I knew I was done for the evening, so I hiked out to uh, our pickup point and then uh, walked a little bit further, but sitting up there where the uh, where they where our our meetup point was watching that sun come down on this Ozark uh, hillside oh, was man, that absolutely was all fire. inspiring tonight. Oh, it was just incredible tonight. There's some, so many gorgeous spots. You always make a trip down here in in the fall to get the fall foliage. You get on some of these high hills. You can see for thirty miles, and sometimes uh, we have good colors. It's just a blaze with the yep. reds and yellows and oranges and purples and uh, man, it, it's just breathtaking scenery, but it's so grasping too. Because in my lifetime, I've seen so much happen. You know, we've got bears here now. Uh, I was Brandon's thinking that tonight, that tonight while I was waiting uh, on a pickup. We've got, <laughs> I was, yeah. you know, there's that saying about what is it? Uh, any any man that's uh, eaten a sliced apple off the back of his pocket knife, yeah. you should take advice from him. <laughs> well, I was sitting I there know tonight, that does that. slicing the apple, eating slices right off the back of my my knife blade, and I thought this smells a lot like an apple. And that was a real nice sized bear in that uh, trail cam picture a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, and we have the occasional mountain lion sighting. One of the greatest things that's happened in the last decade is reintroduction of elk and peck ranches just right south of here. And uh, we're going to have a 
limited elk season next year. Nice. Sweet. I know Tennessee just started theirs uh, a couple years ago, I think. Yeah. This year, a couple years. It's been recent. And we'll probably have a limited black bear season within the next five, ten years as well. That's, nice. that's coming also. But just some grand things happening. And I've, I've been trying to convince them, though, that uh, anybody 70 or over should get numerous preference points for the elk hunts. <laughs> I made a lot of progress with that project, but I think it's a grand idea. <laughs> well, if I could have been putting in, I would have been putting in. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. But it's really neat to come to the Ozarks in September and October and listen to the elk bugle. That sound has not been here for about 200 years. That's just crazy to think. It's crazy to think that, you know, I mean, I talk about conservation a lot on the podcast and and hunters' roles in it. um, But, you know, it's, it's amazing. You know, not only are we protecting, you know, as I say we, you know, royal we. Um, not only are we protecting the elk where they're at now, I mean, they're being reintroduced into places like, uh, I think, was it Kentucky also or Kentucky as elk, Tennessee? Like they've had them quite a while. A lot of these places. Yeah. Like you said, I haven't seen them in long, long time. And, uh, you know, I was just, I was just talking with someone today and, you know, I was, you know, posting pictures and stuff from the hunt and I posted up, uh picture of shag's buck and um and somebody's like oh that's so sad and you know i'm i just uh, it's just the, you know those conversations every single day and sad. that is yeah we all in outdoor communications field deal with that but you know in the 1930s over 70% of our population still lived in rural areas. Today, yep. we've got 3% of the people or 97% of the people living on 3% of the land. And we're like three going into four generations removed from the soil, you know. And it's it's difficult for people who live, not really been associated with the rural style of life. And, well, and, was... and see, I grew up rather poor, but we had a milk cow, pigs, chickens, and and then we hunted and fished a lot. That was important. That was a necessity for us. And that's uh, a lot of the difference uh, today is uh, just the lifestyle. You know, they just have not experienced it. Everything's well, handed to us. So everything's I was, processed and handed to us. Yeah. I was thinking about that when you guys were talking about that, that float trip. Because, you know, you were kind of joking. You're like, oh, apparently I'm the soft one on this trip. And... um you know, I look and I have, a, I have a lot of, you know, once again, you know, everyone that's listening and I've told you guys a little bit about my history and, um, you know, I got most of my friends don't do anything like this. They think I'm way out in left field. They think I'm insane. You know, I go out to Montana and I'll, I'll camp by my truck and, and all this stuff. And, you know, really it's n- not that crazy. You know, I got a bunch of gear. I got a lightweight tent. I got a, a tent stove, all this stuff. And, Right. You know, but I laugh because, you know, you talk about, like, you know, you've got experience beyond what I've got, and and, and it continues, and you kind of look at them, and you're like, well, gosh, I guess I'm the soft one. I look at you guys, I'm like, ah, I'm the soft one out here, you know, and then, and it's, it's funny, you start uh, thinking about those experiences you have and kind of what you do, and, and and I just, sometimes I have those moments where I'm like, there are people out there that they they will be born 
live their entire lives and die and never experience even a, a fraction of these amazing things we get to well, do and see. Well, it's just important to realize is that there's that same fraction of people that were born and will grow up and they will not know anything but needing this kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is what they de- de- depend on to get through the winter. You know, I, I, I'll tell you, I grew up in a, we didn't have to have this. My dad hunted and he fished and he taught, he taught me all these skills and, uh, you know, he instilled these values in me. But, and I, that's why I feel like I come from the middle on that because I didn't have to, but we did. Mm-hmm. But there's just as many people that have to. And, uh, you know, a lot of folks that that uh, that other ninety seven percent, they don't realize that you know there's a lot of folks that, that if if they can't do what we're doing out here this weekend, they can't live for the winter. Um, and then that's something else that you know Shags and uh, you know we've talked about Shags and Brandon tonight. Shags is uh, Nate Shags McLeod. He does the the morning show on KCMQ, um, the Morning Shag. And he's a very outspoken conservationist, and uh, Brandon Butler is our buddy, who's the the the, um, the former uh, fellow with CFM. And uh, you know, these are the guys that are putting us up out here. And, and Shags, uh, you know, he was it Share the Harvest? Is that what you call it out here? Mm-hmm. You know, he's a he's a participant in Share the Harvest, and you know, those folks that kill deer that can't necessarily eat a whole one. Um, you know, they can share any portion of it or the whole harvest with those less fortunate. Um, so we talk about, you know, the folks that don't understand this and have never been there. There's just, there's for every one of those folks, there's one that has to have this. I mean, has to, to get by. So that's, I think that's important to keep in focus because even if it's not your thing, it's somebody else's thing and they depend on it. Yeah. What? So many people don't get, and I think it's unfortunate, too. Uh, wildlife conservation in this country has been, was was established and is still maintained by hunters and fishermen and outdoorsmen. Uh, and in the state of Missouri, we're extremely fortunate because 1984, we passed a one-eighth of one percent sales tax that everybody contributes to. Generates about $190 million a year for our conservation department. We're one of the best in the United States. I don't understand why other states don't uh, do the same I'm gonna, thing. I want to interrupt you real a, quick, Bill. Pardon? The, the model that is uh, the state of Missouri... And their system should be used nationwide. I'm just it, saying it, that right now. It needs now. to be, but it's not. Only one other state has adopted it. That's uh, Arkansas. It is now, incredible. The, so many other states are in bad, dire straits now because they depend on revenue f- from hunting, sale of hunting and fishing license. Well, only 4% of our national population hunts anymore we've lost a third of our hunters in the last 30 years so their revenues are dropping tremendously there's lots of research going on now to uh, try to find other funding processes but hunters and fishermen have paid the way for all this ever since it started but everybody else gets to enjoy it if you're a bird watcher or a hiker or whatever so i I suspect down the road others are going to have to start paying as well well, at the risk of getting into a whole new podcast Eh. 
R3. That's all I got to say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The R3 movement. Yep, yep. But another interesting thing that's happened, I just read a tremendous article. Gosh, I wish I had it in front of me. Uh, few weeks ago, and Wade <laughs> talked about Paddle 9 just fell off. Paddle 9 just went backwards he's, over his chair. He's sitting on a little folding stool no. here. And it folded. It, it the folded the wrong back up. <laughs> oh, well, at least you fell down the hill still in a campfire. Yeah, I've seen that happen a couple ball. of times, and that's, that's, oh, that's never good. <laughs> you really made me lose my train of thought there, Don. <laughs> oh, well. well, guys, I will, I will say. We, uh, yeah, we've been talking a long time. I was going to say, I I would sit and continue this conversation, like I said, for another two hours. Uh, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you. And I may, uh, this may, you may have to think about this one for a minute. But you know, we've been talking a lot about, you know, the local stories and things like that, and just. And now it doesn't have to be necessarily specific to Missouri. It can be if you want. But what say, uh, what maybe what's one of your favorite? favorite books or favorite collections of stories like that that somebody if somebody's like you know i just love these these kind of old stories something like that these old hunting stories these old outdoor stories what's uh what's maybe like one of your favorites maybe something somebody could look up or you know even if it's even if they probably can't even find it what's uh charlie farmer who's gone now died way too young of of cancer he wrote a book, I believe it's called The Wilderness of Missouri or something to that effect, but a lot of old stories about everything, hunting, camping, and a lot of these were spun off of trips that, that he made. But it, it's a good introduction to the, the Ozarks and kind of the feel that middle-aged old-timers really, really have <laughs> and how we did things, you know. But uh, Charlie was a talented uh, writer, and he... Uh, and Ron Kruger uh-huh, Ron. did one of the most incredible stories I ever saw in my life about hunting in the Ozarks. And I'll never forget this one picture. It was a, a horseback ride-in turkey hunting trip. They had the big wall tent set up, and they had a photograph in front of one of those wall tents, a big old red horse with a big wild turkey gobbler hanging off the saddle horn. <laughs> oh, one nice. of the most impressive outdoor wow. photographs oh, I ever man. saw in my life. But that came from Charlie Farmer and Ron Kruger, two of the best. I'm sure. For me, you know, um, these are some of the quintessential favorites, but first fell in love with Gritz Gresham and anything he did. Um just, just a great outdoor writer, and then, you know, I, uh, I answer the moniker Paddle Don, but I'm also Hoosier Fly Daddy. Um, my f- and and once again to clarify, that's not who is your fly <laughs> daddy. That's Hoosier. That's Hoosier, as, as in, in a, a, one proud from Indiana. Full, a proud, a yeah. proud member of the Hoosier State from Indiana. <laughs> but what what else Which, could that mean, by the way? Well. In certain parts of the country, that's a pretty good oh, insult. Oh, I can tell you, man. I, can, <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I give it to them, you know. It, it, yeah. It's like a, a bad slur, you know. You know, some you're parts the worst, of the country, you're the worst you can say you're a Hoosier with pride. <laughs> to be a Hoosier. You come to Missouri and be called a Hoosier for other reasons. <laughs> but, so, so your moniker is Hoosier Fly, Hoosier, Hoosier fly, fly Daddy. Daddy is my, uh, that's what I go by on Instagram. That's always been my other call sign. Um, I've got a passion for fly fishing. I got a passion for smallmouth, and sixty uh, percent of that is fly fishing. And forty percent of the time, you can't do that, so you spin fish. 
but uh, it's all about that. What? And uh, uh, you know, John Garrick, anything he writes is uh, man. That's that's to me. Um, that's that's how I think and feel, and and that's what it is I'm going for every time I go out there. All right. Well, one thing. I always like to end with is, you know, this, uh, a lot of my audience, they're new hunters. They're not from traditional backgrounds. Uh, you know, they didn't necessarily grow up with granddad's gun walking through the, walking through the woods. Um, so say, you know, I don't know, you run into someone at the, at the sports store, at the fly shop, whatever it is. And, and you're swapping stories and they're, they're talking to you and they're like, Oh man, you know I love all this, all this hunting and this fly fishing stuff. I'm I'm really interested in it, but you know, shoot, I grew up in the city. Like I don't have any family friends that do it. I don't know if I can't. Like I'm, I'm a little intimidated by this. I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> what would you What would you tell someone that that may feels a little little intimidated about getting into the outdoors? Hook up with somebody that's got experience. Fly shops, those types of stores, great places to hang out because you're going to meet some interesting characters who are willing to teach you, willing the to old, help you. The old timers get may started. seem quiet, yeah, but they are dying to share. Yeah, absolutely. And man, they got a lot to share. They really do, and the intimidation factor—we've all felt it at, at yeah. times, you know. I remember first starting as an outdoor rider, and boy, you finally got to rub elbows with somebody that was <laughs> famous. And oh my gosh, you was almost afraid to open that your was mouth. That for me. <laughs> uh, uh, well, now you call him Papa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, just jump right in there, man. Ask the questions. Uh, like a guy They're in a fly shop, dear friend of mine in St. James. He's Vietnam vet and bad to health, but you watch. I watch young fellows and gals come in there all the time of course he immediately asks if he can help them Watch him come they don't life. know what they're looking for see that they, they don't want to appear stupid you yeah. know and it's well uh, i don't want to ask a stupid question he always tells them only stupid question is the one you don't ask yep you yeah. know it's funny you bring this around to that tonight we were sitting in here waiting on dinner to be done i got a we got limited uh, Wi-Fi here where we're at, <laughs> at, at best. And uh, a message came through from a distant cousin of mine who said he's looking to pick up fly fishing. Now, he and I have been uh, following each other on social media and, um, you know, watching our fish pictures be posted left and right for the last couple of years. And this guy's got a, a passion for it, and he's got a talent for it. And I uh, watched him catch a whole lot of real nice smallmouth spin fishing. But he contacted me tonight asking me, you know, what, what do I need to do to get into this? And uh, I told him, I said, man, I'm in the Ozarks with limited reception and uh, just got this message. But rest assured, as soon as I get back to civilization, we'll be in touch. <laughs> you know, I'll be happy to put you in touch with whoever you need, whatever you need. I just want to get somebody else started on this because, yep. man, Absolutely. it's incredible. As we're winding this thing up, an incredible thought. I was sharing a campfire just three weeks ago with some guys at a muzzleloader hunt. And a very wise retired lieutenant colonel from the Army, loves the outdoors, very passionate about it. And he was hunting with a much younger fellow. He met 20 years ago, and the only time they get together is for muzzleloader <laughs> draw camps, you know. But he made the statement. He said, you know, here we are, three of us 
from all different backgrounds and uh, just like we melded together in, into one because when outdoorsmen come together, I don't care what race, what socioeconomic group or backgrounds, we all got something in common. Perfect. That's, I mean, come on, look at me. Do you? <laughs> like, how different, how different can that be? Yeah, but we, we, got we look at this campfire and see what we've got in common. Yep. Yep. And I mean... I'd, I would have no problem sitting down and continuing this conversation for another two hours. Yeah, we could I'd, go forever. <laughs> I think we could go easily till the sun came up. But yep. on that note, all right, if folks wanted to uh, want to hunt you guys down online or something, send you a question or follow along with the fun, where can they find you? Well, me, I'm uh, Instagram. I'm Hoosier Fly Daddy. Again, H-O-O-S-I-E-R. Just I made that. <laughs> as in a native of Indiana. Who's your fly daddy? Um, Don Cranfield on Facebook. And I actually have, if you go there now, it will say it's parked for free. However, um, as of the middle of November, this is uh, um, correct information. But somewhere around the end of the month to beginning of December, we'll be going live with a new website called uh, smallwaterjournal.fish. Um, I've got a passion for the small water, uh, you know, the bass guys, they have their media and, uh, the fly guys have their media and I'm trying to put something out there for the everyday guy in between, right. uh, 10 horse and under no motor lakes, reclaimed water, small rivers, just, uh, people who are in it for more of the experience than the, uh, the adrenaline rush of it, you know, people who are in it for the, uh, the mental side of it. But still want to catch fish and know the you know the the latest tactics, techniques, and destinations. Mm. On Facebook, you can look me up at the, the Fly Rod Journals or Outside Again Adventures. And a lot of people quiz me about that Outside Again. <laughs> uh, you, you don't he- hear that too much. So, yeah, I was born practically in the outdoors, and we didn't have a very big home and several kids and uh, running in and out. My mom used to tell us, you kids get outside. We'd all yell, again? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I'll also add uh, one last little addendum there. Wild Indiana. A few of us started an outdoor magazine several years ago that's a local magazine called Wild Indiana, and it's been an incredible journey. And we've, uh, we've grown that and had a blast with it. Uh, but we have a Facebook page at uh, Wild Indiana Magazine, and, and same same with Facebook as well, or excuse me, with Instagram as well. Um, that's we try and bring you a little bit more than just fishing. Everything there is to do in the Hoosier outdoors. But uh, I'll leave it at that. Before Bill makes another Hoosier joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Well, I appreciate you sitting down, sharing the campfire. I'm not sure I'm ready to get up yet, but. I've had a couple of beers and I'm re- about ready to go hit the. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, ready, the, uh, I'm ready nice for plumbing. beer session uh, Monday a.m. Yep. Yeah. Back Our in the Monday. deer woods. <laughs> All right, I'm ending this thing.
All right, y'all, that'll do it for episode 126 of the Wild Initiative. Big thank you to Paddle Don and Coop for sitting down with me. Really enjoyed getting to share the campfire and hear a lot of their stories. Make sure y'all head on over to the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com slash 126. Get info and links to everything we talked about in today's episode. That'll do it for today, y'all. I'm looking forward to next week. But in the meantime, I hope this episode inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to the Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.